Hello and welcome to the History of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews told from a Jewish educated perspective. My name is Yossi Silverman, licensed tour guide and educator, and this is podcast number seven. Yosef and the Nation of Israel, Joseph and the Nation of Israel. Last time we focused on the sons of Israel and the tribes. This time we'll be discussing Joseph or Yosef's role in the creation of an Israelite nation. Just a quick note, we will be dealing with the historical background to these stories in two podcast time. That's podcast number nine. Yosef, Joseph is the first son of Rachel or Rachel, the favoured wife of Yaakov or Jacob. He is also the favoured son of Yaakov. Yaakov gives him a famous stripy coat. A stripy coat. Not a technical dream coat. Just a stripy one, okay? Maybe it's not even a coat. Maybe it's a tunic. So thank you Messrs Wright and Lloyd Webber for creating those misconceptions. He becomes known in the family as a bit of a sneak and is constantly speaking behind his brother's backs. The nadir of his exploit is a dream which he talks about a lot. He goes on and on and on about his dream. He gives a lot of offence to his eleven brothers. In it, he's gathering wheat and his brothers place their bundles on the ground and he places his bundle on the ground. His brother's bundles get up and bow to his bundle. This agitates his brothers. And then he has another dream. All of his family become celestial bodies. His father and mothers are the sun and moons. His brothers are all stars. And they all come to bow down to Yosef. Now this dream even angers his father and really loves him. Yeah, Yosef can't keep his mouth shut. One day his father sends Yosef off to help his brothers herd sheep and as he walks to them his brothers conspire to have him killed. Reuven the oldest sees this as a really really bad idea and pleads for Yosef to be merely thrown into a nearby pit so later on when the backs are turned he can see them. Reuven then wanders off to tend to his herd. Yehuda or Judah spies a caravan of nomads and he too feels guilty about this conspiracy. So he recommends that his brothers sell Yosef to the nomads. His brothers then kill a sheep and dip Yosef's coat in its blood, faking his death so Yaakov will believe them. Yosef travels down to Egypt where he is sold to Potiphar, a eunuch and chief servant of Pharaoh. And things go pretty well for Yosef. He rises in importance in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife takes an interest in him. On numerous occasions she sexually propositions him and he declines. And when Potiphar is away for a feast she propositions him and grabs his simple garment, most likely a loincloth, and he runs out of his clothes quite literally. And she says, I'm going to say this in Hebrew, then in English, Yosef 
the Ekrabakol Gadol, the very basic translation, and then break it down. She says to them, Look, he brought a Hebrew man to play stroke mock with us. He came to lie with me, and I called in a loud voice. So, number one, who are they? That's the other slaves. Look what your master did. I am one of you. Then she says, Ish Ivri, a Hebrew man. He brought a Hebrew man. She's playing the race car. This is the equivalent of saying the N-word. Yosef is an outsider, no matter how high he rises in Egyptian society. He came to mock me. Could also mean he came to play with me. Another possible meaning is, seeing that Potiphar is a eunuch, then maybe the charge against Yosef is that he did not do what Potiphar intended, meaning lie with his wife. Yosef is a sex slave. He's estranged from his birthplace and cast down as a Hebrew servant. He finds himself not just as an outsider, but as an oppressed, abused minority. He then ends up in prison, and in prison too he rises to the top of the prison hierarchy. He finds himself in the cell with Pharaoh's baker and butler. They both have two pretty disturbing dreams. The butler dreams he is back in his old job, squeezing grapes for the king, when three large bunches of grapes appear before him. Yosef interprets his dream in three days, his master will restore him to his high position. The baker, gaining much from the other dream, says he was walking along with three baskets of bread in his head in his dream when birds started to eat from the top basket. And Yosef tells him in three days he'll be executed and the fowl of the air will feast upon his corpse. The butler promises to help Yosef. He promptly forgets this until many years later. The pharaoh has a really weird dream. He's standing in a field when he sees seven big fat ears of grain standing beautifully in the field. Then, seven thin weedy ears come to become animated and eat the fat ears. Then has another dream. He sees seven fat juicy cows and, and seven nasty looking cows come along and eat the fat cows. Pharaoh is much distressed and searches throughout Egypt for one to, someone to explain his dreams. He consults all the wise men and the sorcerers and the cognitive therapists and none of them have a reasonable answer. Just then, the butler remembers and he tells him about Yosef. Yosef is called from his dungeon and he meets the king. He explains that both dreams are in fact one dream. They are both concerning a prophecy. There will be seven years of wealth and good crops and cattle and then seven years of horrendous famine. Yosef even proposes a solution. Build large stores and store all the grain and preserve as much as you can for the seven bad years. And Pharaoh is astounded and he says, well, I guess you're in charge of that project then. He appoints Yosef as his prime minister. And instantaneously, Yosef becomes one of the most important men in Egypt. Seven years later, there is a famine in the entire region including Egypt and Canaan. So Yaakov sends ten of his surviving sons to Egypt. They are spotted by the local officials and being really suspicious. Ten people, all supposed to be brothers, all asking for food. They also sent 
to Yosef for scrutiny. He recognizes his brothers and he decides to test them. He appears very stern and he accuses them of not being brothers at all, but spies. They mention a younger brother at home, Benjamin. He demands to see Benjamin as proof of their claim. The brothers confer amongst themselves, reflecting on the bad things they did to Joseph and that they don't want a repeat with Benjamin. All this they do in their local language, assuming Yosef doesn't understand. Yosef has to leave as he finds himself overcome with emotion, comes back and putting on a stern face he orders with Shimon, yes good old Shimon from last time's massacre, be put in jail to assure their return with Benjamin. He gives them the food they bought, he hides the money that they paid for it in their sacks and sends them on their way. They go home, they find the money, they're pretty freaked out by that one, and Yaakov is livid that they agreed to such a thing in the first place, and equally livid that they allowed Shimon to be taken prisoner. Reuven, in his typical missing-the-point Reuven manner, offers his son as collateral if Benjamin is hurt. Yaakov thinks this is an equally silly idea and tells him to put his sons away, he's fine, he doesn't want to kill his grandkids, he's not actually ridiculous. They go back down to Egypt with Benjamin, hoping Yosef didn't notice the whole money in the sack bit. Yosef greets them with great happiness and he invites them to his personal table to dine and he sits them in age order which really freaks them out and he seats Benjamin next to him. After much merriment, he sends them on their way with food. He does the whole putting the money they paid for the food into back into the sacks business. And then he places his special goblet in Benjamin's sack. So he sends out his guards to pursue them. They stop the eleven brothers and say, They say you have stolen our master's special magic goblet. The goblets of fire! No, sorry, that's Harry Potter's Goblet of Fire. Darth Master's special magic goblet. And they say, no, if we did, then he who stole it will pay with his life. Oops. They stand before Yosef and Judas speaks up. He makes a fiery defense of Benjamin, pleading for Benjamin and his father's soul too. Actually, if you want to start talking about Yehuda as the king, I talk about Yehuda as the king starting from here. As it seems, the loss of Benjamin would be too much for Yaakov. The brothers show much concern for Benjamin and all argue with Yosef and they show a genuine unity of purpose, such unity that they've never shown before. Yosef sees that they are not the same people who threw him in a pit, especially with, with Yehuda's speech. This isn't the same man who suggested faking Yosef's death. In fact, it isn't the same man who went gallivanting around with prostitutes either. In fact, he offers his own life instead of Benjamin's. Yosef sees a group united to protect each other with a strong leadership, Yehuda and Reuben, and he decides that they've changed and learnt their lesson. He reveals himself to the, well, shock is an understatement of his brothers. Pharaoh hears and offers the entire family the opportunity to come and live in the eastern Nile Delta, where they will farm sheep, a profession that is anathema to Egyptians. Yaakov comes from Canaan and is reunited with Yosef, 
Yaakov is called Yisrael again at this point. Here he seems to be a character that is at peace and has come full circle in his life, going from the deceptive, scared runaway to the deceived, mourning father, and then to the strong patriarch that we see here. We see at the end of this section of the Torah a nation rather than a family. A united group of tribes come down as a separate entity to Egypt to settle. Next time, we shall discuss the change they underwent in Egypt to become slaves and the Exodus stories. Thank you for listening to the History of the Jews. You can find me at scoutisrael.com and you can search for me on iTunes. I am Yossi Silverman, educator and licensed tour guide, and you've been great. Thank you.